0: Hello and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. We're already through our first week of the new year and this was the first proper working week here in Ireland. Christmas kind of Christmas kind of goes on forever, really, doesn't it? Uh, in Ireland, which is great, you know, people be chilling uh, uh, but this is this is now we're back, you know. The, the working year has begun, and well, here in Ireland, actually, it's been a it's it's been a wild week in the world. Really, it's 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 been an insane week. We had uh, near we nearly had World War Three. Australia is on fire, and in Ireland, somehow, uh, the leadership of Ireland thought it would be a good idea to commemorate the RIC, and the DMP, which has had hilarious consequences, which we are going to talk about in a minute. But before we do that, and tours all over Ireland, desbishop.com forward slash tour dates, or jeez. desbishop.net forward slash tour dates. Uh, come and check that out. I think it's going to be good. Tried out some material on the International last night. Went well. It's, go, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Uh, so do check that out. Well, it's an exciting night for me tonight, because uh, I'm doing uh, the Sean Cox Trust benefit show at the Three Arena, which was organized by John Bishop, who is a wears it on his sleeve, an avid Liverpool supporter, and I mean I don't know if people ever listened back to the episode on the des bishop podcast on this podcast with john uh but he definitely came from humble beginnings. a lot of people exaggerate their their humble beginnings to to make the contrast uh, with their success more pronounced, but actually, you know, John had a proper, you know, there there was poverty, really, you know, and he grew up in that, in Liverpool, and a, a, a tough time for Liverpool, you know, which I think actually uh, heightens that sense of connection to Liverpool FC for some of these people because, you know, during those dark 80s and the sort of Thatcher and the the transitioning UK economy when it was really tough for working class people particularly in the north who didn't feel a connection with Thatcher and uh, but Liverpool was riding high and you know I think that that gave them a sense of pride during some otherwise dark times so i think uh, you could never deny you could neither deny John Bishop's humble origins nor his genuine affection an affinity for Liverpool FC. Uh, So he decided to do this fundraiser for the Sean Cox Trust. Uh, For those that don't know, Sean Cox, Irish Liverpool supporter, uh, randomly struck by a masked Italian hooligan and uh, damaged for life. Uh, Very, very sad. Very unfortunate. Um, And his family have, uh, well, obviously they've raised awareness about, you know, the The Consequences of Violent Acts, but also they've been great at fundraising for Sean Cox's rehabilitation, which is is slow and difficult. And uh, I'm grateful actually to John for asking me to do it because it allowed me to actually learn a bit more about Sean Cox and just the sadness of it all, really. But the, you know, the perseverance of both him and his family to, to give him the best life uh, so he's currently, I don't know if he's still there, but he was in the UK um, doing some very expensive rehabilitation, which is partly why uh, the fundraisers are so important. Um, and I'm sure some people would say, well, why this tragedy versus any other tragedy? And and you're right. You know, there was another horrible story where, uh, you know, two Irish guys had a, had a, well, not two Irish guys had a fight. One Irish guy hit another Irish guy once, one punch, and the other guy died. And it can happen, and it's so random and it's so horrific. Now, that case was 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 more controversial in the sense that the guy he got one year for some sort of misdemeanor. You know that like it, it's a there's a way that a one punch a one punch accidental death scenario is perceived by the courts and this guy only got 1 year the mother of the 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 young man that died was upset with that and i can't imagine how you would feel a sense of justice i would i would imagine objectively if you stand back you would think it really makes no odds in in a way but that is ridiculous i can't imagine how it would feel to think that your son's life was worth 1 year for this guy however i know that when i drank I had blackouts and did stupid stuff and had fights with people and it's really just by providence, like pure luck, nothing horrific happened, either to me or to somebody else. You know, and that's that's the tragedy of that one. But in terms of Sean Cox, the tragedy of it is that actually, you know, these ultras, they're so, they're, that's organized violence. So it's actually premeditated. It's ridiculous. Some masked lunatic deciding to just hit people. And this poor guy, Sean Cox, now his life is destroyed by this random act of violence. It's really horrific. Um, so, so yeah. So, So why does that one matter more? It's not so much that it matters more, but at the same time, you can't do everything for everybody. And here is this guy that we all know about, and I'm happy to be helping to raise money to try to give him a better life. And I'm also aware that it's minuscule and I get as much out of it as I do giving back. You know, sometimes people be like, oh, you're you're so generous with your time. But in actual fact, as generous as I am with my time, I'm also absolutely delighted to be performing at the Three Arena on a lineup with John Bishop, Michael McIntyre, Tommy Tiernan, Dara Breen, Deirdre O'Kane, Joanne McNally, and Jason Byrne. You know, so I take only the tiniest bit of... Uh, I, I take no plaudit, actually, because I... It's, it's, it's at, at, at worst for me, it's net neutral, but I actually think it might even be better than net neutral in terms of how much I'm into doing this. So I'm glad that I'm helping to raise money, but I don't want any credit for it because actually I've, I'm so happy to be doing the show. if, if I, I think people understand the sentiment I'm trying to say because I do think that sometimes people over-exaggerate the service that they're providing when it comes to raising money for, for charity. Uh, and really, if anybody deserves, applaud it, it, it. It's John Bishop, because he really does not need to do this. And he does arena tours all over the UK and Ireland. So this is, is, is very much an extra thing for him. You know, uh, so fair play to John. And, you know, I think in a way, I'd probably give a little extra credit to Michael McIntyre too, because he's coming over to do it. So fair play to him and obviously fair play to everybody for doing it. But I think you know what I mean. You know? I don't I sorry, I hope I I I hope I don't seem to be uh diminishing the contribution of myself or others, but uh anyway, needless to say I'm very happy to be doing it and I hope that the night is a success. I'm pretty sure that it will be. I I think it's actually one of the best comedy lineups that I've ever been on. You know? It's a really, really heavy hitting show. So feel almost nervous. You got to represent. It's like being back in the beginning of the comedy career. It's like, you know, you're doing the international and it's me and Dara and Tommy and Jason. And you want everyone to think that you're the best, you know? And then people go, oh, are you guys competitive? And it's like, well, we are competitive in the sense that one of my best friends, I play squash with him. We're best friends. But when we are playing squash, I want to beat that motherfucker so bad, like so bad, you know, and then afterwards we go and have lunch. And it's the same thing with comedy. It's not like a competition of, I'm going to sabotage Jason's show so I can be the best. It's a competition of during the show, you want the audience to love you the most, but it doesn't affect your relationship off the stage. You understand what I mean? And I think that's good. I think that energy drives innovation and Success, good jokes. Anyway, that is way too much talking about what essentially is an amazing bit of fundraising by by John. Eight thousand people all paid whatever they paid. Ton of money being raised. Uh, so that's great. And I look forward to seeing everybody too, which is nice. You know, John and I have always had a weird weird connection via our name. I mean, we're good buddies anyway, but there's just like this weird thing with our name it feels almost like more connected than, than we should be. Uh, Tommy, for starters, when I started, Tommy was like blowing up, and he's always been my, my favorite Irish comic. Him and Dylan Moran, you know. So it's always nice to to be able to see him. Dara, I mean, Dara was already getting established when I started, but he he, he was he was around a lot in those early days with me. Uh, so I did a lot of the early gigging with Dara. Deirdre is Deirdre and Jason are like two of my closest friends in comedy. Couldn't love them more. Uh Joanne and I have gotten to know each other in recent years and she's good crack. We're actually about to film something for RTÉ together. Um and then McIntyre I actually don't know that. You know, when McIntyre was first blown up, he came over and did the cat laughs and I remember watching him and being like, "Wow, this guy is he's just a killer." I mean, some people like to be critical of me. So I, I think most of the criticism of Michael McIntyre is sour grapes, to be honest with you. But I just, my overriding memory of watching him that very first time at the cat laughs, I watched him from the side at the Kilbride in the Kilkenny Ormond. My overriding memory was that he was a killer, a stone cold murderer of audiences. Like, except nothing less than ripping the roof off the place. That's just like a natural instinct for that guy. He's a killer. Uh, So I look forward to seeing him. I really actually enjoy Michael McIntyre. It's always bothered me the amount... I mean, obviously, from the masses, he doesn't get hate. All he gets is support and ticket sales. But from the industry, sometimes, there is is a a tendency to dismiss his talents. But I'll defend his talents all day. Even if you don't like the subject matter. Even if you think that the subject matter doesn't suit you or it's too hack, quote-unquote, which is, by the way, total nonsense. You cannot deny the craft and the performance energy, the charisma, the ability to connect. You can't deny these things. Impossible. You think, you know, I mean, I get it. Some people think the masses are asses and these people are dumb, but they're not dumb. To be honest, a lot of the time it's because the some of these critical, you know, keyboard warriors can't identify with life sometimes, you know? And I—it's not to say that their life isn't worthy, but they—they—they're too quick to dismiss alternative forms of living that they can't see themselves in. You know. But that's—that's that's a heavy conversation for another day. I mean, I didn't mean to talk about this for that long, but we got into it, and uh, I still have the ca- the morning caffeine in me. You know, I always think of uh, you know that intro. When uh, Eminem and Dr. Dre are singing, he's like, "I wanna, I still love you. I, I gotta tell you, what is it like? I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I still love you while this fucking weed is in me. That's me every morning, like with caffeine. It's like I gotta get my, I gotta get my thoughts out while this caffeine is in me before the, before the reality of the crash comes on me and the, the imminence of life not being as rosy as it felt forty-five minutes ago descends. You know, there's like the that morning euphoria, that that ninety minutes." of of caffeine infested hope and i got to get this i got to get this episode down before before it, it's not depression it's just the reality that oh shit i've been a little high i've been a little low uh, little intoxicated with a low level stimulant that is accepted in society which is i always think that's another interesting one it's like so you're clean and sober since 1995 but you have coffee every morning which is a stimulant you know what constitutes being clean caffeine is accepted which is fine you know i mean in reality like addiction and you know as we understand it more it'll be interesting to see like what's acceptable and what's not people are microdosing now you know and i don't i'm not going to microdose but i just wonder like what's the difference between like a like a, a little microdose and a couple of cups of coffee in the morning you know they're both Mood altering substances that you ingest, you know, these are big questions for 2020. Uh, and, and these questions completely inspired by the highness of uh two oat milk lattes that I got from Daddy's Cafe in Rialto because uh, the gentrification has arrived to Rialto, Daddy's Cafe. Uh, for those that don't know, I live in Dauphin's Barn, Rialto area and I've uh, been here a long time you know i lived in fatima Mansion's s block 1997 summer of 97 in fact i, bu- I bumped in on the south circle today one of my buddies that grew up in dolphin house you know i have a i have like a like a an assimilated connection to this area that has nothing to do with the current wave of gentrification not that and i'm not i don't think i'm better or worse than the people who've come lately i'm just i'm saying that you know back right before the crash there was a there was a smell of gentrification coming to rialto and the crash was 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 cruel, actually, to to this area, the junction between uh, Dolphins Barn and the roundabout in Rialto, that stretch of the South Circular, which is where I live. the 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 crash was cruel, and some of the deprivation that seemed to be leaving, you know, the hope that had come from the redevelopment of Fatima, uh, the Lewis, uh, some of the the hopelessness had returned and certainly the evidence of deprivation had returned in that you could see the wildness of uh you know disaffected youth and people with nothing to do and parents back not working and not you know none of this sense that the the trickle down was had 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 really had any lasting effect on the area and also obviously the government cutbacks and just the social supports disappearing you you saw the effects of that you know and i definitely saw the effects of that between the vandalism and the crime and the 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 anger um you know amongst the place the lack of hope but that that has returned but also gentrification now is coming in full swing and that is always a double edged sword really because i feel that it's going to be good for our area uh i think it's good to to begin to i don't want i don't want people to be outnumbered by the middle class masses that come looking for cheap housing that's close to the city center but i do want the the vandals and the hopeless, uh, sorry, not the hopeless. That's the wrong thing. But I want uh, people who have sadly succumbed to the to what the negatives of deprivation can bring, and how that negative energy is corrosive. I want them to be outnumbered by people who have a, a shared sense of making the place better. Unfortunately, with gentrification, what usually happens is the people with money make the place better for them raise the cost and actually push out the original people. Now, the benefit to Dolphin's barn, Rialto, is that there is actually and will be quite a lot of social housing in this area. I mean, there will always be a high percentage of people that live in government-funded accommodation because we have Dolphin House, which is a massive housing development, which has recently been renovated, not redeveloped, but renovated. And actually, I think from what the, from phase one, I it actually looks pretty good. I'm hoping they do phase two because some of those flats are quite near my uh, my house. Uh, but, um, so I, they, they, you can't push them out. But I do think that, say there's a road like St. Anthony's Road, and it's always been a problem, particularly the private accommodation. My understanding is that there's like a very small amount of landlords on that street. But I don't want to say anything too direct because it could just be a rumor. But there was a rumor that it was one landlord that, Owned most of the private houses on that road, which are actually quite, you know, they're they're not bad houses. They're like 110, 120 year old, um, you know, terraced houses that are, you know, they could be quite nice if they did up that road. But anyway, they, they they've been in bedsits for a long time, and you would think, you would assume that the majority of those rentals are either squats or, um, you know, go, rent allowance or whatever. Hap, I, I I don't know if there's a difference between rent allowance and hap, but anyway. You would assume that those, they've definitely most of the people there are on government assistance, and and that de- that de- de- definitely attracts, uh, you know, people with with some issues r- related to alcoholism and drug addiction, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of dereliction. <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> there's a lot of dereliction on, on that road, and but so th- it's a road like that that you feel like gentrification can visually. Uh, change for the positive. However, where are those people going to go? And I would imagine that that is one of the roads that is going to change quick. Uh, I don't know through 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 purchasing or not, but definitely you you would see that coming fast. Anyway, I have talked for way too long about all that, but I hope it was interesting for you guys. The main thing I wanted to talk about can only. Be introduced by singing Walla come out your blackened hands, come out and fight me like a man. Show your wives how you won medals down in Flanders and how the IRA made you run like hell away from the green and lovely lanes of Killishandra How did the wolf tones get to number one in the UK and the Ireland Apple iTunes charts? Well, that has to be some serious incompetence by the Irish government. For those that haven't been following the story, uh, a kind of a political, a political disaster rose up based on the planned commemoration for those that died serving the RIC and the DMP, uh, including uh, the War of Independence, which, whether it was fair or not, the connection between the fact that the black and tans particularly also the auxiliaries but certainly mostly the black and tans were actually brought in during the war of independence to support the RIC and the DMP because you know originally when the war of independence began essentially the enemy was the RIC and the DMP they were the they, they were the forces of order working for the British government and they were the enemy and they obviously couldn't deal with, you know, this guerrilla war. And the Black and Tans were brought in, former World War One soldiers. I'm not going to get into all the history of it. But I think most people with even the, the barest amount of knowledge of Irish history knows that the Black and Tans were a, a dubious force at best and employed some pretty some pretty dark tactics uh, during the War of Independence. And, and trust me, nobody is 100% innocent. Obviously, the victors write history... And uh, you know the the IRA are the heroes of the War of Independence, and the Black and Tans are the enemies. However, the Black and Tans were definitely not great. And uh, I recently sort of brushed up on it. I was reading some pieces by Dermot Ferriter, and you know, really all all the things that are are much more obvious in terms of the horrible things that happen in modern warfare, especially when you think about sort of um, regional conflicts in Africa. You know, there was there was more than just uh, the you know, the bloody Sundays and the, 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 very obvious atrocities. But, you know, I, there was a lot of rape and, and, you know, horrific intimidation of, of innocent people. And, uh, it wasn't pretty. So how any Irish government can allow themselves to be embroiled in any sense of diminishing the, the horror of, you know, what happened during the War of Independence, uh, it's just so dumb and listen i get it you know i'm an educated guy i understand that there is an argument to suggest that in a modern ireland which perhaps is possibly moving towards reunification with the north and i'm not saying whether that's going to happen or not but certainly in terms of this long journey the long journey from uh you know like the penal laws to a modern irish republic uh and then into one final journey of trying to make uh, unionists feel that this island can be just as much theirs, uh, you know, under the one banner of, of of Ireland. I can understand the argument to try to sort of have a reevaluation of how we perceive certain uh, certain people, certain players in Irish history. I can understand the importance of that. However, in terms of official commemorations, there, it, there there's just certain things that you if you're a politician you would have to be careful of and i would think especially when you're Fine Gael, and 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 whether rightly or wrongly there's there's a whiff of sort of west brit you know all these slurs plus you got the blue shirts tied uh, tied to you and 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 and, and a, a you know a, 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 a like of a like a fascism in your history and you were the pro treaty side and there's always that that sense of that, you know, you sold out the north. You know, all these things that, you know, you, you know that, that are connected to you. That you would just be careful not to allow yourself to feel like you're sticking up for the black and tans. You know? And I think it's very easy to have, a, you know, to try to get out into the public discourse a, a more nuanced conversation about who was who in Irish history, but to have a commemoration, it, it, it is, it, it's difficult, you know? Well, first of all, it doesn't, you know, th- there's not a huge need to sort of like celebrate the deaths of these people in the sense that the people that are connected to them are generations gone, and like, I, I understand that there were good men in the RIC and the DMP, you know, I know that, because it's so easy. It's so hard sometimes when you read history. You know, history is like this very clear narrative, and it's easy to be like the RIC were a bunch of cunts, and you know the, the Sola had the ambush on the on the RIC barracks. Sola had beg county temporary begins the War of Independence, and the RIC are the enemy. But of course, they were just good guys needed money. You know, some people just wanted a gig. You know, some people in the DMP, were, you know, have have more in common with a guard today than they would uh, a British soldier you know i get that absolutely you know but you don't have to sort of officially commemorate them because the truth of the matter was because it's so hard to forget that you know british rule in ireland you know it was not a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a positive it wasn't a net positive you know it was a net negative you know and it was a hard fight for catholic emancipation and you know it was a hard fight for independence and I understand some people would argue that perhaps that independence, you know, that there would have been a natural erosion of British control in Ireland, and perhaps that what 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 would have been left by that natural erosion and home rule might have been more positive. I understand that, but you're only saying that in the comfort of, you know, a life a lifetime of not having to deal with uh, a sense of uh, being ruled by an oppressive government. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but the truth is that at the time the the, fe- the fight for freedom and there was a rise you know there was a there, th- that was a rising tide in in many nations you know this sense of wanting self determination uh, w- was 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 such a drive for people you know um, so uh, I, I I I I just think that you can you can celebrate uh, the tragedy of you know the 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 service that these people in the RIC and the DMP thought they were providing, Uh, but it's it's almost like, and I'm not comparing the British government to Nazi Germany, but you know, obviously, within within the 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 uh, what would you call the the law enforcement structure of Weimar Germany, there were good people that ended up working in institutions that then facilitated horror. And I assume that some of them left and experienced uh, nightmares for that. And on the other side, uh, there were people that actually were hor- horrific. But I assume that there's some people in the middle that lived the rest of their life with a stain of, could they have done more? Were they part of the problem? And nobody, they're never going to have a commemoration for the good people who ended up sort of, you know, Given out parking tickets in fucking not you know 1942 Nazi Berlin, you know, or 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 these people that sort of accidentally died and got caught up. No, because we understand it, but it does not need to be commemorated. That's that's basically my point, you know. So the need. The need for a for a state commemoration, and and in fairness, like if you read about Dermot Ferder and there's, an, there's a there was a group that was involved in sort of like the best ways to commemorate the 100 years uh, since the War of Independence. You know, it's a whole sort of we're at the centenary of Irish independence, and you know, the government tried to say that actually it was recommended that there would be a commemoration, but it wasn't recommended that there would be an official state commemoration. There was just basically saying we need to we need to find some way to articulate uh, that not all men in the I mean, I'm saying men, by the way, because I'm assuming it was only males back then, that, that that there were, you know, not all men in the RIC and the DMP were, were bad people or were really sort of, uh, you know, active champions of, you know, being part of British control in Ireland, you know? <clears throat> so I do actually think that that's a good discussion. I don't think it was a good idea to have a state commemoration. I definitely think politically it was ridiculously stupid. You know? Uh, if, if if you're allowed to make that separation between what's what's good in reality and what's good politically. You know, because sometimes politics doesn't really understand nuance. And let's face it, I mean I'm a product of the Irish education system. The way I was educated, the narrative does not have a ton of nuance. About you know, the complexities of who was doing what. And I also understand that we've we've grown to be able to celebrate the sacrifice that certain Irish people made in World War I. But I think that's even more simple than because those people were fighting for England against a, an external enemy. Whereas, unfortunately, the, the, the connection is that these members of the RIC, We're fighting for England against us, can you say? Or certainly against people who believed in fighting for what has become the Republic of Ireland. So it's more complicated, you know? And they fucked up. And as is the way of the modern world and the internet, it drives the wolf tones, come out your blackened hands to number one, you know? And in a way, it's actually the antithesis. It's the opposite of... The desired result, of trying to have a nuanced conversation of how do we perceive the traditional enemies in the the narrative of the War of Independence. So now, actually, in a way, you almost feel like it's a backward step that you end up with this kind of uh, you know jingoistic. And and here's the thing, I I'm like I'm pretty republic like I, I you know I I'm I'm less negative towards Sinn Fein, for example, than most of my friends, you know, and I have the I have, whether whether some people consider it a, the, the, the tinted glasses or not, but I, I wear the tinted glasses, the rose-tinted glasses, I should say, of an Irish-American view of the Troubles growing up, which uh, I, I think I've talked about before, but I'm certainly more educated about the complexities of the Troubles. But I certainly grew up with a very simple view of the Troubles, which was the Brits need to get the fuck out. And I'm not even going to lie, I grew up with a, a kind of a hatred towards Protestants. You know, which is ridiculous, but that is the way that I was raised, uh, which I don't have now. But you know, it, it. But but certainly, certainly, I'd be I'd be more Republican than anything else. You know, but I'm not like rah rah, let's unite Ireland. You know, because I am aware of how difficult that is. In fact, I'm actually I'm very open to having the discussion of what we need to do as an island. To make unionists feel like they're welcome. You know? Uh but 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 before I get into that, let me just stay on this point, which is I have no problem with the Wolf Tones, but you know, some of it is a bit, it's a bit irresponsible. Like even though I love it, I learned all those songs growing up, you know. I know I know the whole come out, you black and tans, you know. You know, everyone knows the first verse. You know, I was born at a Dublin street, but I I I go deeper, you know. Oh, let me hear you tell how you stumped the brave Parnell. And the Zulus, they were, well, truly persecuted. Where are the sneers and jeers that you bravely led to tears as our heroes of 16 were executed? And I'm not, I'm not looking at Google here, you know? So that all, all that crap is in me, you know? But at the same time, there's an irresponsible sort of, there's an irresponsible up the raw, fuck the Brits attitude that's getting... All of us, nowhere. And that's what this rises up. "Come out your Black and Tans becomes number one and it's all a bit of crack. But it definitely doesn't look good to people who, you know, you're trying to suggest there's progress. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that these motherfuckers have any desire for progress. So, believe you me, I got no love for the fucking DUP. You know? I, I can't stand their ignorance. And not just around... Irish issues, just around progress in general and their their their, you know, backward religious beliefs. You know, so I, I got no love for them. So don't don't confuse any of this with with a with a love for the DUP. But on the flip side, I just don't, you know, I get a bit of crack out of it. I put up the video where I sang come out your black and tans on Chinese television. I mean I'm totally down with the crack of it, but I'm also aware that you know there's there's consequences to this you know, silliness, that is, you know, it's unfortunate, really, you know? Uh, So, you know, I've always felt, you know, when I was 16 or 17, I went to the National Youth Parliament. I think I might have told this story before, I'm not sure. But I went to the National Youth Parliament, and you could get up and say anything. And for the crack, really, I was trolling, actually. the You know, the, the ignorance of youth, I was trolling. And I got up and I said, I can't understand how Irish people can read their own history and then sit back and think that uh, what the IRA, the provisional IRA and what they're doing in the North isn't a continuation of the struggle for Irish freedom. And why you think that the old IRA were noble and the provisional IRA are bad is, uh, you know, it's an ignorance of the evolution of modern warfare and it's a denial of of your responsibility as a resident of Ireland to continue the fight for Irish freedom. And there was a fucking war. I remember this guy stood up, South Dublin guy, and he was like, stood up, shouted in my face, the IRA are murdering bastards! It was fucking chaos. And of course, I was delighted because that is exactly what I wanted because I was an idiot and I was looking for attention and it was, it was literally just to instigate that reaction, you know? And then I remember I sat down and this girl full of full of adrenaline, fight or flight, you know, wondering if I could actually deal with the consequences of my actions, you know? Uh and this girl from Belfast came up to me and she said, I think you're fucking dead, right? Fucking fair play, to you for speaking the truth? You know. <laughs> it's just you know, it's just so funny, like the divided opinions of uh people up north and down south. And uh anyway, um why did I say that? I was actually just about to get somewhere, and now I forgot because I sort of almost went back to to visualizing that we was actually in Wesley College, was where that was being held in the Easter break of two of nineteen ninety three. Good Lord, time flies. Anyway, uh, Malcolm Burn, the politician, was there. If anybody ever wants to verify my story, um, he went on to be. He was a he was a politician then and he continues to be a politician now fair play to him uh wexford guy from gory i i think th- i think the more interesting discussion is what can be done Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile To make, what like what let let, let's let's put it this way: if you're a nationalist or a Republican, what what can be done to make people? Hmm. There was an article in the Irish Times, and it was basically saying that all this yap. Is making unionists feel less well, you know, and any sense of a united Ireland would be more frightening to them when they see all this. And I think, yeah, yeah, it's true. However, my problem with that is that there doesn't, there's never seemed to have been an acceptance from the unionists, particularly up north, of the advantage that they've had. You know, if actually let's do this, let's have a fun exercise. Let's look at uh like nineteen eighties in north Northern Ireland, but let's pretend that the troubles never happened and all there ever was was the civil rights marches and, and a slow, steady progress of better representation, more equality, and more opportunity for Catholics in the state of northern ireland and let's then in- introduce the language of political correctness into this discussion so it's 1986 and the british conversation is very much around thatcher and union busting and you know uh, you know bringing in uh, you know like a, like a modern capitalism to what some people considered as sort of an antiquated welfare state, and let's then add in the complexity of the North, where a lot of people feel that that inequality is based on historical discrimination uh, and state-run discrimination uh, against the Catholic minority. Just just a touch of of minority, and the activists. Talk about Protestant privilege, and how these Protestants uh, are, are are concerned that they are always scapegoated as the bad guys, despite the fact that they created this state, and the industry that once made the state great was Protestant-run industry, and shipbuilding and textiles, and that all of those solid industries that brought a greatness to our small state, have been destroyed by uh, the drive for uh, the drive for modernity that comes from Margaret Thatcher. And uh, to top it off, these Catholics then attack the greatness, the once greatness of the Northern Irish state, speaking about privilege. And Catholics say, but you don't know. You can't speak about how difficult it was for us because you won't accept your privilege. You won't accept the fact that your your gerrymandered representatives have managed to consistently create a scenario where you guys will win and we will lose. You won't accept the historical significance of the distribution of land to your ancestors by an anti-Catholic state. You won't accept that the education system has always favored the advancement of your people. You won't accept that we have never been able to get the good jobs. You won't accept that your police force discriminates against us and constantly acts in your interests against us and treats us as if we're the enemy and assumes that we are criminals. That is Protestant privilege. And why do you speak to understand to know how difficult it was for us catholics to thrive in this state a state that has consistently worked against us and only recently has begun to slowly move towards an acceptance of the the crimes that were instilled upon our people don't speak to me about privilege until you've felt my pain you know and it actually it, it bugs me sometimes because Sometimes I'm in the States and I'll be having like a discussion with somebody about racism and civil rights and I'll try to explain to them that you know that in the north there was you know like state in- institutional racism against catholic people uh and you know and it was quite it was quite intense and uh you know it was one of the driving things that led to the troubles and and, and they'll dismiss uh they'll dismiss that because they can't they can't see race outside of color, which I completely understand. How could you understand the complexity of sectarianism, you know, when when you see discrimination through color? And, and, and I know that uh, it it's fine. They don't need to understand it. But, you know, sectarianism, um, you know, people when people hear sectarianism, they think automatically of the divide between Protestants and Catholics, and they think of it in terms of the Troubles. But that sectarianism, you know is what what drove that institutional discrimination against Catholics for so long, you know, and created the powder keg that led to the troubles. But you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I've, I've jumped out of the exercise. I've jumped out of the damn exercise of talking about Protestant privilege, you know? Uh, and I guess I didn't intend to, but it ended up being a bit like make Northern Ireland great again, you know? <laughs> Which <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> It's like the racist leprechaun (laughs) Make Northern Ireland great again Ah, me I can't can't even say it, it's not fair I should be able to say it because it's funny But I'm not going to say it because somebody's going to get me in trouble But the make Northern Ireland great again people uh, uh, Would sound like a racist leprechaun Ah, me (laughs) N-word So, uh, anyway That's that So it's hard to stay focused when you're talking to yourself. I don't know what to do. We're going to have to get the bloody unionists on board. That's that's part of the problem, you know. And Arlene Foster's so horrific. And 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 the hatred that they you know, that they rise that they sort of whip up for their own benefit is so dangerous. And you know, thank I mean, I wasn't happy with the British election result, but thank God the DUP don't hold any balance of power anymore. Because, you know, like the British, the British political system should be censoring them at every turn for how much they hold on to the politics of division. Like it, it it's it's relentless from them. So, despite the fact that I'm sitting here saying, how can we appease these people to make them feel a bit more welcome in a potentially united Ireland, even though I know that there's not fucking hope you know, and we're, we're, we're a hundred, nearly 107 years since the signing of the Ulster Solemn League and Covenant in fucking blood from some of these guys. And we haven't, we still haven't dealt with the fact that they were going to rise up over home rule, let alone fucking United Ireland. Home rule is Rome rule. Come to Belfast and we'll show it. Who says we're to have home rule? Come to Belfast and we'll show them. I mean, this shit is a, this shit is so old. We still haven't dealt with it you know but you you would assume with the, the evolution of humanity since that time that perhaps there's there's a chance now I don't know I don't know what to do some people say we should join the commonwealth we should return to the commonwealth to make you know to give them something to grab on I mean people dismiss that outright and I'm straight up republican but you know I wouldn't even chuck it off the table 100% at the start just to, like, get the discussion going, you know? Because you got to negotiate, you know? Like, Dev ended up calling the oath an empty formula. You know, eventually you got to find some fucking compromise to get in the game. You know, people are so black and white, but black and white never got us anywhere. So, something has to be done. I wouldn't be a fan of that, but... I wouldn't throw it off the table to get the discussion going. That's all I'll say about that. I think... I think... The the, 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 the rational, sense sensical argument is not going to win them over. But I think that one is that uh, an, an island with Dublin and Belfast in it, working together to dri- drive economic growth... Is actually potential. I think the potential for it being a stronger economy for the North than being this kind of, you know, burdened corner of Ireland for the UK. I I actually think we could do better. I think it'd be better for the North because people always say that we can't afford it, you know. But like, a, a an island with two major cities, plus the you know the the smaller cities of Cork, Galway, and Limerick, and Waterford, you know. And the tech industry you know I think all of that working together it actually makes Ireland a strong it makes it's a it's a stronger economic entity that is my personal opinion you know and despite the fact that there would be competition between Dublin and Belfast you know I just think that that uh, that population could actually bring a lot to the island of Ireland and I actually you know a lot of this is stereotypes but you know culturally there is some sense of an entrepreneurial spirit within that protestant work ethic which i wouldn't mind bringing to the table i don't think it's a Protestant thing but i do think that they would be they would be almost a competitive pride driven focus from those groups to do well but if we're if it's if we're all to benefit from that then i think that's a positive you know That that's probably idealistic, I understand that. But I'm just on my own in my bedroom speaking into microphones, so forgive me. You know? I would like that, but I don't know how you can get them to sign up to this sense of us working together. I mean, you can't attack the stupidity of still feeling a connection to Britain or why that identity is not important, because that's just deep. Identity is just deep. It's fucking stupid but is deep you know and the narratives that go with it i mean i don't want to get too wanky but that's what i love about enda walsh plays cuz it's all about people being stuck in their stories you know and it, people never want to admit how much we just accept narratives as part of our identity we do we're completely free you know that right like we are completely free to be whoever the fuck we want to be but we accept a narrative and we're actually very loyal to it we're very loyal to the narratives that make us who we are but we actually do not need to accept them at all they're not as important as we think and they bring a lot more fucking pain than people like to admit but all of this is fucking narratives well a lot of it is is narratives obviously this sense of place and language genetics stuff like that clearly binds us together but but more importantly what drives identity is is a narrative you know uh, and and a Obviously, history. some of history is fact, but some of it is the, the, the perception of, of what those facts mean. And we, 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 we buy into it. We really do. And some of that, I think, is good and healthy, and it, it gives a sense of community and togetherness, and some of it is negative. And, for example, I feel like some of that negativeness is this sense that our connection to the crown and our connection to Britain trumps all other things— in terms of uh, h- how the state works, that that is the thing that must be protected the most is our sense of Britishness. Now, I know that you could argue, but this is a contradiction because you seem to believe that people need to fight for the freedom to be their Irishness. But, so I understand that, that that's a contradiction and that perhaps is a total hypocrisy uh for me to say but I guess part of what I'm saying is you don't actually have to let go of a lot of your identity which is the pride of being an Ulster Protestant that actually that's the more that's the the the, the better part of your identity is your Ulster Protestant heritage which began with the plantation of Ulster and has created a group that are quite unique. You have your own, you have your own narrative. You have your own culture. You have your own historical moments that you seize upon to say that you are who you are. But the connection to the British state, as the entity that controls your infrastructure and your, uh, your, you know, your, you know, j- j- that 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 that's the government that you live under, is not as important as your sense of your uniqueness as Ulster Protestants and that actually you can probably embrace that more as being part of the Irish state and being part of the people who decided that they could control their lives better as an independent country. How do you sell that? You know, how do you sell this sense of Protestant pride, Scottish Presbyterian pride uh, within a state that you can have more of a say in the way that it runs. Because the Northern Irish Assembly doesn't do enough. So how can you sell it? sense of, we'll give you more control. We'll give you more control, and we'll give you a higher representation in the national government than you could ever have imagined being MPs in Westminster. How can you sell that? It's like, hey, you want to control your life more? You want to have more rights? Uh, You want to have more... uh, more of a a cultural acceptance for who you are as Ulster Protestants come and join the Republic of Ireland and we'll actually allow you to be more loyalist than you were even though your fucking word loyal is loyal to the crown which you know and I know if you're being really fucking honest is irrelevant even fucking Megxit is happening now fucking people from the royal family are fucking leaving so why the fuck can't you leave because they certainly don't care about you Right? That's my sale. But they'll just say, they're fucking so racist, they'll just say that Meghan Markle fucking made him leave. This is my sale, man. I mean, I've been up there. I've lived with them for a month. UVF, Mount Vernon. It's all just dumb, ignorant hate. Like most hate. Like my own hate of Protestants growing up is fucking ignorance. Stupid ignorance. You know? I know it's very hard to break through, but we'll figure out a way. And in the meantime, come out your black and tans is number one. So that's it really. You know? I was going to get Stephen Mullen on to talk about this, but then the day was getting on and I just said, you know what? I'm banging this out because I got this big show tonight and I just want to I want to go, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy something to wear tonight, and then I'm going to have a nap. Because I want to have a fresh, I want to have a fresh head. Um, I mean, Stephen did just message me now, but yeah, we'll do it another time. I'll, I'm going to do his podcast to make him feel better. Because I didn't want to take my phone out and get distracted. So that's it, guys. That's the end of this episode. Thank you so much. As I said at the beginning, Mia Mama on sale now starts tomorrow night in Ashburn. And then there's tickets for that. Then sold out shows in Klonic Kilty and Bray next week. And then I'm in Dundalk soon. I think for the second added show in Dundalk, there might be a couple of tickets. Uh and then I I don't have the list in front of me, but you know, the smaller venues mostly are sold out. And then the bigger venues, there's tickets left. So go and check that out. At Des Bishop on Instagram. At Des Bishop on Twitter. And facebook.com forward slash Des Bishop. Thank you so much. Hope this was enjoyable. We'll have some guests on. Don't worry, we haven't completely given up on guests. It's just that because I'm doing two podcasts a week now, sometimes it's just easier to just get up on a Friday and just bang it out, you know? So, hey, and can I just add, this is actually... This episode should be up already, but actually, John Bishop messaged me, and I forgot I had to do something, and I ran in, and uh, I did that. And then because I was in town already, I had to pick up suit. Yeah, I bought a bought a suit. Anyway, I, I'm only adding this on because in the interim, I see that the Iranian ambassador at the Dublin compared Soleimani to Michael Collins, and I. I you know I think a lot of people know that the Br- the British the road that the British embassy is on in Tehran is called Bobby Sands Road or Bobby Sands Way or whatever, and uh, you know I know I, I, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of love for uh, the guerrilla warfare tactics of Michael Collins, and you know what I didn't know and I saw because of these tweets today about the the Iranian ambassador that, um, what was his name? What was the 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 the, the was it Ariel Sharon or or was it the original, was it the original Israeli leader? But in the you know they they were originally you know they had guerrilla warfare tactics slash perhaps you could call terrorism. Uh, try you know in, during the the Zionist phase of the creation of of uh, the Israeli state, but they were uh, rebelling against the British Empire at the time, and I believe that they actually called one of their operations Michael after Michael Collins. So really. There's a lot of affinity for Michael Collins from various different groups. And obviously a lot of people are upset suggesting that, suggest, saying that Soleimani is, uh, Michael Collins is insulting to Michael Collins and, you know, it's a, theoc- Iran is a theocracy. But I guess, I mean, listen, man, you know, it's, as I said earlier, like it's all narratives because I'm assuming that the people that are involved in the Iranian Islamic revolution say they overthrew uh, you know a corrupt uh, like monarchy you know the shah and that they're the you know they're, they're the ones that are you know bringing a true islamic iranian republic to the iranian people so i'm sure they don't see themselves as an imperialist theocracy but a lot of people are suggesting they are. have no time for their uh, the religious uh, I, I i don't have any time for the iranian government for the record but i i don't believe that Iran is the biggest threat to Western democracy. I don't know why uh, the United States has an obsession with them. I was actually very content with Obama's deal with them, and I just was happy to allow that country to grow economically because I actually think the better chance of Iran moving away from the theocracy is a rising middle class and affluence that will eventually lead to more and more cries for uh, representation within uh, you know a representative democracy again call me an idealist but i actually thought that the way obama was playing it was was the better way but i also think that it's very easy to suggest that iran is the great enemy and nobody's perfect including the united states but i actually like iran a lot more than i like saudi arabia you know but i understand that Iran is the enemy of Saudi Arabia, and Iran is the enemy of Israel, and I understand where Americans, America's allegiances lie, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm not critical, I, I believe in, in the right of the state of Israel to exist, but I, I, I think that's a nuanced conversation too, and I, I don't think it's fair well, I, I certainly wouldn't be happy if one of the main motivations of the American government to stay focused on Iran as a terrorist state is because that suits the Israeli agenda. You know, I do think sometimes that the Israeli agenda is, motivates American decisions a touch too much, while at the same time, I am, I am not averse to understanding the threats that the state of Israel exists under. And I think some people who like to dismiss the concerns of Israeli people too quickly uh don't appreciate that and i but i also don't excuse what i think is the mistreatment of palestinians but anyway jesus christ i mean this is all too complicated i had no desire uh to get into this today but it just so happens that i hadn't put it up so i said i'd 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 add this on um and uh so yeah i don't think it's a fair compare i don't think it's a comparison at all to to, to compare Soleimani to michael Collins in any way shape or form however some people would argue that what came after the civil war uh, certainly for a period of time of irish independence wasn't that far from a fucking theocracy considering the amount of power that the church had and consider the way certain groups in society were treated so listen we could really go down a rabbit hole baby Woo! we could really go down a rabbit hole but let's just leave it we've had a fun chat let's just leave it man Go on forever. I, I, I need to start a history podcast. Can we just call a spade a spade? I'm going to call Dear McFerriter and like, see if we can get a history podcast going. Like a fun one. Lighthearted, you know? Um, I already said goodbye, but now I'm saying goodbye again. Uh, see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European Linen.